0: Join me in Acts chapter 12. This text was read for us earlier. Perhaps a familiar story, perhaps a newer story for some of you. It's a great story. I've got a good friend who did a lot of traveling and speaking with children's ministries and camps and tells this story in a way that I still remember hearing Rhoda at the door when Peter is knocking and he would tell the story. Who's there? It's Peter. Peter who? And that's probably not as funny as it is to me, I guess. I don't know. But uh, there is some comedy in the story for sure. Um, And we have much to learn this morning about this matter of prayer. The sermon will fit into this series of understanding growing grace. That campaign is underway this month of October and into November. We've designated as these six or eight weeks of really thinking through what is God doing here at Grace Bible Church and a step further than that, what is God doing in our individual hearts? We're asking you to wrestle with this vision of greater stewardship of the people and the properties here at Grace. So really, it's, it's about commitment. What can I do as a follower of Jesus Christ? Last week, we considered commitment to church membership. Again, we tried to simply define it. It's just a, an expression of two-way commitment, If you really feel like God has you here with this body, then become a member. Commit to loving and serving this body, and this body must commit to helping you in your discipleship and affirming to you your profession of faith in Christ. Already, 15 families have signed up for the membership classes being offered because you've been here. You're here. This is where you call home, and you want that Expression of commitment to be formalized. Uh, We're thankful for that. Yesterday, we had over a dozen men and one of our women filling up the dumpster with all the upstairs of the gymnasium uh, as an expression of commitment. Oh, I'm sure there's grander displays of commitment, but breathing the white dust of drywall and insulation and carrying all that stuff to the dumpster is in a way demonstrating that this is where God has me, and I want to do my part. Now, I know not everybody could join us yesterday, um, but that's okay. Not everybody's perhaps able to tackle the demolition of an old musty building. However, each one of you is able and called to commit this morning to our topic. Praying for the church. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must commit to pray for the church. So let's go back to our text that was read for us in Acts 12 and see this example of the church's intercessory prayer. And from this story then, learn how to pray For the church. Let's look at the setting that unfolds for us in verses one to four, get a sense of what's going on. Herod is the king. About that time, the text says, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So remember, Herod is king of the Jews, kind of related to the family of Abraham, so he's like a cousin to the Jews. But under the Roman authority, he's been commissioned to rule in Israel. Rome is still in charge. This is more of the Jewish government. But even the Jewish government hates the followers of Jesus. They hated Jesus, and Jesus said to his disciples, Just know this, if they hate me, they will also hate you. This is unfolding. Violent hands laid on some who belong to the church. What do we mean by that? Well, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Okay, this is, this is like feeding your dog a little piece of bacon under the dinner table. All right? Herod's gotten a taste for the satisfaction of popularity, and he wants more he has James killed, that goes over so well, he's going to arrest some of the other big names. And now Peter is arrested. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. When we look at this story, It's hard for us to feel the the gravity of it, because in our nation, we're not afraid of somebody breaking in and hauling off a few key people to jail for worshiping in that way. Other nations of the world, that would still be a very real threat. So we have to work hard at understanding the enormous drama in the local congregation in Jerusalem right now. It would be like, you know, one of of our families, you know, being in, you know, a car accident or being in the Walmart where there's a dramatic shooting or something. Well, word would spread like wildfire through the church. It'd be on Facebook or people would be calling, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Pray for them. This is So word is spreading. James has been executed and Herod is pretty excited about this and he's arrested Peter now so all the church is being made aware that this is a big deal and just in understanding this setting we're beginning to understand an answer to the question of how do we pray this prayer of intercession how do I commit to pray for the church number one I commit to pray for the church as a response to need. When the need arises, we empathize, we see the burden, we see the struggle, we see the dilemma, the conflict. And so we pray, we pray. At times I will say it is by God's grace that we we don't even know where to turn to bring about solution. We don't know how to help. And I say that's a kindness of God because at other times we hear of a problem, we're like, oh, well, I'll I'll help with that. We go to the wallet or we go to the kitchen and, and we'll kind of just do and fix. And that may be part of God's plan for love and comfort and support, but we just brush right by praying for God's church. I must commit to pray for the church as a response to need. Now, there's another way of looking at this because we could argue, well, we don't always have to pray, pray in reaction to a need. Couldn't I pray proactively for the church? And I would say, yes, of course you can. But even that would probably be in response to some need. If you were to read, the bible and come across a verse about kindness and you say lord would you would you help our church to be marked by kindness well that would be because there is a need we're a selfish people at times and we're not as kind as we should be in this text it's really clear though the need arises in the language of the new testament somebody's carrying a burden namely peter and his family but the church is going to pray in response to that burden. When the needs arise, when life is hard, when suffering and trouble hang over our brothers and sisters in the family of God, then we must pray. In our story, the need is obvious. Violent hands laid on some, killed with the sword, arrested Peter, seized him, put him in prison, So Peter was kept in prison. I want to make an application here that is two-way regarding need and prayer. First, when you hear of a need, commit to pray for that person. Peter was kept in prison, and we read prayer was made for him. So when you hear of the burden, of the struggle, of the need, pray for that person. And let me offer this word of caution. Be very careful with saying to someone, we'll be praying for you. If we're thinking pure English, that would mean we will be in a constant state of prayer for you. If that's what you mean, then say it. If you mean... If I think of it down the road, I'll pray, then say that. Tell them as the Lord brings it to mind, I'll pray. But but don't sacrifice your integrity with, with repeated Facebook posts of praying for you, praying for you or telling people, hey, I'll be praying about that. If you're not really intending to do that, to go to the prayer closet and pray about that and look at it from different, perspectives and analyze it and pray and empathize and and wonder how God might provide for them. I would suggest you'd be far better off to just say, can we pray about that right now? And then if God brings it to mind moving ahead, great. But be careful with saying so easily we'll be praying about that and then you don't do it. We studied the failure of intercession in the lives of Peter, James, and John in the Garden of Gethsemane during the equip hour. They failed to intercede, to pray for Jesus when he asked them, Will you watch and pray with me? Our commitment to pray for the church should come naturally in response to needs. So the first application is when you hear of a need, commit to pray for that person. But the second application is this. When you have a need, commit to sharing it with someone in the church family. Shame on us for not praying for one another as we should when we hear of the burden. But equal is the shame on us for not sharing the burden for acknowledging our struggle for articulating even just the mystery of our pain you might tell someone i don't even know why but i'm i just feel so down listen not every request needs to be presented to the whole church body i'm not saying you need to share your request with me before the service so i can announce it to everyone Maybe at times that would be helpful, but at other times, you're not asking for that. I understand that. But tell someone. Tell someone of the discouragement this week. Tell someone of the frustrations of parenting. Tell someone of your own struggle to be the spouse you should be. Tell someone of the pressure you feel in the workplace to conform and not speak out for what is true and right. Tell someone you're battling with fear, that you're overwhelmed by sorrow. Why can't I shake this? Tell someone. How else will they know of your burden? Tell them you're having a hard time being content. You thought the job was going to deliver this. That's what they said, and it's not there, and, and finances are tight, and you're just... You just feel an angst in your soul. Well, don't fight that alone. Tell someone. The church prays in response to need. So share your need and those who hear it, watch and pray with them. I must commit to pray for the church as a response to need. This is putting feet to my Theory of what intercessory prayer is. It's simple. I hear of a need. And I ask the Lord's favor on them. How should we pray for the church? Number two. I must commit to pray for the church as a defiance of evil. As a defiance of evil. Look at verse five. So Peter was kept in prison. It's the summary of the crisis. Then we read one of those key words. It's a word of contrast. The word but. This little word but tells us that what, whatever came first is going to be offset by whatever came second. So Peter was kept in prison. But that is offset by... Earnest prayer for him was made. You see, Herod, evil Herod, with violent hands, is persecuting the church. He's killed James, and his plan is to kill Peter. That's evil. That is spiritual wickedness in high places having its way with those who are taken captive at the will of the devil. It's the darkness that is all around us in our culture, in our world. It's the spiritual warfare of Ephesians 6 unfolding in ways that clearly intersect with physical life. And yet the church prayed in defiance of all that evil. Is it any wonder that in Ephesians 6 when we're told to put on the armor of God for this spiritual battle that having dressed yourself in the armor, it tells us then be praying and making supplication for all the saints because it's a mindset of battle. And going to prayer, whether it be in in an intentional focus, what we call in the prayer closet, or throughout the day when you happen to think of that person and pray for them, it's as if in your mind you should be picturing yourself in, in the desert camo with a backpack and, and a massive rifle and your helmet and, and you're this marine about to be dropped on some reconnaissance mission. The church in Acts 12, I think, had a little bit better taste of the battlefield. They, they knew they were in a struggle against evil. Peter is kept in prison and, and it's not just like he didn't pay his ticket No, they know how this ends. They just saw what happened to James. It sounds bad. Just like some of the problems we're facing. So let's let's label our crisis and our struggle and our problem and then follow the path of verse 5. But all that can be offset by this. Prayer, earnest prayer was made on his behalf. Prison, offset by prayer. Peter was kept in prison, offset by earnest prayer was made for him. The prayer of God's church was an act of defiance against the forces of evil. Prayer was the weapon of warfare in the spiritual battle that faced the early church, and it remains our weapon of warfare still today. On Friday night, we were at a dinner at another church up north of the river, and the speaker was Gracia Burnham. You remember that name? Back in the early 2000s, she and her husband Martin were on an anniversary vacation, uh, they're missionaries in the Philippines, and they went to a, one of the islands of the Philippines, one of these beautiful little huts that's like built on the water, you know, a you little walkway out to your own private hut. In the middle of the night, three Muslim terrorists, as part of a much larger uh, group, kidnapped them, and for the next year, they're led through the jungle islands of the Philippines. And on the day of the rescue, Gracia was injured by gunfire, and her husband took a friendly fire bullet to the chest and died by the time he rolled down the hill. Well, Gracia was talking more about the year journey of traveling through the woods, the spiritual battle, the depression, the, the faithless moments, the, the power of songs like Rock of Ages. But the one thing she emphasized the most was in the, in the moments of, of uplifting they would always remind themselves that thousands and thousands of believers around the world were praying for them. I think we've probably all said something like, oh, it's good to know you're praying. But she said it was the one sustaining truth that more often than not pulled them out of the despair and and. They realized it was not a strength of our own. It was the prayers of God's people. It's a beautiful story, a beautiful night, hearing what God had done for her and the family. A little side note about the providence of God. She now lives in Florida. She came over to our table because she's good friends with my in-laws, Matt and Donna Williams. She was in their youth group uh, in in her high school years. Uh, She flew into Kansas City for this encounter and a few other things, and she goes to the post office to pick up some stuff she had shipped. And being a missionary in the Philippines, she she recognized a woman coming out with darker skin and dark hair, and and she says to this woman, You look Filipino. And the woman turns and looks at her and says, Are you Gracia Burnham? Gracia's like, Yes, how would you know? She said, My brother was a hostage with you in the Philippine jungle. So Gracia Burnham, 20 years later, comes to Kansas City to tell her story and meets a relative of one of her fellow hostages from 20 years ago. Uh, Amazing what God does for us. By the way, some of her hostage takers have come to faith in Christ. They're spending their lives in a Filipino prison, Um, but there's been much communication with them over the years. Uh, Again, uh, incredible testimony to the grace of God. What a story, though, to hear of sustaining power of intercessory prayer. And you know what? It's not unlike our story. Because I thought, this is great. Peter, miraculously delivered by angels. James Killed by the sword. Gracia tells a story of spectacular rescue. Joint effort of U.S. forces and Filipino military. She comes home in a wheelchair after her healing from her leg surgery, but her husband came home in a casket. So the point of the story is that we pray and everything always turns out the way we think. The point of the story is, You pray in faith, trusting God to do what is good and right for his people. I must commit to pray for the church as a defiance of evil. Peter was kept in prison. That's bad. But it's offset by this power. The church prayed. We'll notice another detail of the church's prayer in verse 5. One that would almost... Seem to go without saying. The text says, earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So I must commit to pray for the church as a focus on God. Well, how do I pray for the church with a focus on God? Isn't my focus on the church? Yes and no. Yes, we are praying because the, the need has arisen in the church, but our focus in prayer is on the God we're praying to. Their prayers were made for Peter, sure, but to God. Remember who it is that you are praying to, and forgive the hanging pronoun or the prepositions there. God, who sits on his throne and sovereignly rules in the affairs of mankind. That's the God we're praying to. God who says as a father to his children, come and cry out to me, Abba, Father. That's who we're praying to. God who invites you into the majesty of his throne room, Hebrews says, to ask for help in your time of need. He says, come. He's all about hearing those prayers. And When you remember who you are praying to, It may shape what you are praying for. It will tune your heart to God's purposes, to God's will, to his promises, to complete our sanctification, to bring all things together in the end for our good. You see, we're not told what they prayed. We can imagine, right? Oh, Lord, we see what happened to James. Would you please Rescue Peter so that he doesn't die by the sword. But maybe that never entered their minds. Maybe they simply prayed, God, show your faithfulness to Peter. Help him to stand firm in the faith. Lord, use his testimony, whether it be by life or by death, for the glory of your church and your name. You see, when we, recognize we're praying to God who's over all things, it it might start to change the way we pray. We, We might have the temporal, physical things kind of fade away a little bit and we start thinking of higher purposes of God. By focusing on God, yours is the hope of peace. A peace that is not based on the outcome of circumstances but on the faithfulness of your heavenly Father when I remember I'm praying to God, therein lies the hope and the peace. Because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if God's going to heal the stage four cancer. I don't know if he's going to provide a better job and more money. I don't know what he's going to do. But once I've come to see him and cast my burden to him, leave my future with him, I can find peace that isn't circumstantial, it's theological, it's relational. One more point from verse 5. I must commit to pray for the church as a means of unity. Our text is clear in this one little verse. Peter kept in prison, but there's the war against evil. Earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. And quite simply, as the story unfolds, we see a number of believers gathered to pray on behalf of Peter. We see a gathering, a unified body of believers praying for God's answer. You see, when you pray for someone either in a group or with that person individually one-on-one, you're fostering a unity of the strongest sort. It's a spiritual bond built on the purpose of God and his care for us. So it's as if we're agreeing that God is perfectly capable of doing what he needs to do and he's perfectly loving so that we know he's going to care for us, however he chooses to work. And you're building a bond on that truth that is stronger than any other. It's this bond of fellowship and faith. You're entering into the trenches with that person and saying, I'll be here with you in this act of faith, of prayer. So as the rest of the story unfolds, and you heard it read, Peter is miraculously led out of prison by the angel. He kind of comes to out there on the streets thinking he thought it was a dream, but it's true. The angel delivered him from the the soldiers. He knocks on the door. The servant girl Rhoda recognizes Peter's voice and she's immediately struck with joy, so much so that she doesn't undo the latch. So Peter's still standing out there. Rhoda runs in and is trying to convince these people who are praying for Peter's deliverance that Peter has been delivered. And they're like, well, that's not possible. We're praying for him to be delivered. And she's like, I know, that's what I'm telling you. He is delivered. No, it can't be. There's no way because he's in prison. Herod has him in prison. Four squadrons of soldiers and all that stuff. Kind of a faithless moment. Oh, they got it right. Let's gather and pray. But we learn this. I must commit to pray for the church as an act of, faith, an act of faith, not faith in, oh, I know what God's going to do, but faith in, I'll trust whatever God does. It couldn't be Peter. He's in jail. Well, you were praying for his deliverance. I wonder if it could really be true. Knock, and it'll be opened unto you. Somehow they forgot the simplicity of Jesus' teaching. So let it serve as a reminder that we must pray in faith. We must ask in faith so that we receive. We must seek in faith, believing that we'll find. We knock with the full expectation that that door is going to swing open. Oh, the answer staring us in the face may be different than we thought. But let us be believing the door will open when we pray. Believe that God will hear. He says he does. Believe that God will answer. He says he does. And believe that that answer will be good for us because that's what God promises. And remember this, that God boasts on being the God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Somehow that's true in this story. Whatever they were asking for, they weren't ready for the answer. Maybe they thought through prayer and all their petitions through the Jewish leaders, somehow they could get him released. But they weren't ready for this. They weren't ready for angels delivering Peter. That hadn't crossed their minds. But God did it. So when you see this story in Acts 12, it's not complicated. It's not hard to know what am I supposed to do with this text. If I'm part of God's church, I'm supposed to pray for that church, the people in it. I'm supposed to bear the burdens with those people. So will you commit to pray for the church? In obedience, will you pray for the church? I trust more and more than in love, will you pray for the church? Will you pray for God's church around the world? Will you hear the persecuted church in other countries crying out the text of Colossians, Brothers, pray for us as we're in chains. Will you pray for the people of this local congregation? May I suggest a tool? You may or may not have the church directory app. With one click, make it two. You can get to all the families of the church, most of them with pictures that are relatively updated. There's a few of you that have aged a little. It's a simple tool where you could take a family a week or a family a day, however your time of prayer would be, and just have a face to go with that name and then to realize, I don't even know what to pray about with them. Okay. Now God's given you a mission. I need to find those people and get to know them. They'll be your next target. You don't have to move on to the next name on the list until you've kind of done something with that one. See their faces and pray for them. See their faces and look them up on Sunday. Introduce yourself. It's simple. It's pretty practical, the way we use our phones these days. And I would argue it would be a good expression of what's biblical, to pray for one another. Because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must commit to pray for the church. Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. Kindle in us a love for one another that will lead us this week to seek your favor on behalf of someone else in your church. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who we know ever lives to make intercession for us. So we pray with thanksgiving in this strong name of our great high priest. Amen.